0: everyone and welcome to episode 2 of Rolling Release, our weekly Linux podcast about the perpetual improvement of Linux. How you doing this week, Mark? I'm doing fantastic. I, uh,
1: it was a bit of a slow week for news, but we still have some good stuff to check out.
0: Yeah, it was a pretty darn slow week, but uh, yeah, we're still going to continue on with episode 2 of our show here, still figuring things out, and we've got some new stories we are going to talk about this week. Got some updates to some Linux applications, some new games coming out. Hey, summer's coming, so if you need some new games, there are some new ones available, and then a little bit later, one of Mark's ideas from last week we're actually going to do this week, where we're going to take Arch Linux, which does not have an install wizard, and we're going to install it side-by-side with Antergos, which is the same operating system but with a wizard. So we're going to compare the processes for those two. Uh, That's coming up on the second half of the show, but yeah, for right now we're going to get into the news. You ready, Mark? I'm excited, yeah, let's go. Here, our first story is OpenShot 2.3.3 released, and it claims to solve serious stability issues. Um, now, Mark, when I send you this story, I let you know there there's a bit of sass in the OMG Ubuntu <laughs> article. Yeah. Uh, and I, I love, I'm glad that I like the way that OMG Ubuntu portrayed this story because um, this is really, it reflects on OpenShot as a project. So, a new version of OpenShot, an open-source nonlinear video editor, is available for download. Yep. Another one. Uh, typically several months pass between releases, they say, but the this latest one is barely a week after the last release. And they say uh, this new update, it touts solutions for a stack of serious stability issues, something that the app desperately needs. Um, so OpenShot is basically, it's... I don't want to bag on it too much. It was actually the first video editor that I ever used on Linux, and it, it's a okay video editor it's a, a beginner's video editor um the way that the OpenShot project is organized is just kind of not the best example of an open source project um the developer a couple years ago there was a point where OpenShot had a kickstarter for its 2.0 mm-hmm. release they raised like more than their goal and then the developer disappeared for a couple years didn't do any updates eventually the developer came back and they've been updating this 2.x series of OpenShot. But yeah, it's just um, hasn't been super stable since the 2.0 releases. Um, so the developer says, over the past two weeks, I've done quite a bit of work aggregating up exception data for OpenShot QT and Lib OpenShot. So that's when it says, like, do you want to send a crash report? This person actually uses those. Mm-hmm. Um, I've targeted the top 25 crashes and errors, and version 2.3.3 should resolve them all. So the top 25 causes for a program crash, this version of OpenShot is supposedly, you know, those top 25 crashes will no longer happen. Um, if there's more crashes below those, which there probably are, then uh, you're still going to have issues. The Ubuntu article says, OpenShot is infamous for hyping reliability improvements in each successive release, only to literally fail at the first cursor-shaped hurdle on users' desktops. Oh, um, yeah, and it seems a little harsh. It seems a little harsh, but honestly, that is what... You know, I use Kdenlive, right? And yeah. Kdenlive really, until recently, wasn't getting a whole lot of attention in the, the Linux media. OpenShot has always been covered a lot more than Kdenlive just because OpenShot, it used to be a GTK application, uh, which are generally favored by Linux media. It it was just the premiere. It was the, the iMovie for Linux was what it kind of was. But it's all developed by a single person. They don't have a lot of resources and they don't accept help from other developers a whole lot. Um, so you end up just with this sort of inferior product. A, a project like Caden Live, obviously, a whole bunch of different people working on it. OpenShot, I've got the uh, developer's blog post here. And along with this new 2.3.3 release, like I said, they got the top 25 crashes. They were also working on a new redesigned website at the same time. And it's got all these animations on it. I'm on the uh, the website right now. It's got Cute little, you know, uh, animations here. It's got, like, you hover over these tracks. They don't, you know, I can click that and it's falling off the screen. I don't know what these animations are supposed to represent because that's not what the program does. Um, So I'm glad the developer is working on this when uh, there's lots of stability problems. But, um, yeah, I did want to point out, if you go to the download section, last week we were talking about, I, I said that there were three universal installers competing right now. Snaps were one of them, and packs were one of them. Um, the third one's called AppImage, and that is what you can get if you go to openshot.org. So yeah, um, you know, I personally would still recommend Kaden Live as my editor of choice, but if you're looking for a video editor, Openshot is being updated. It's a good thing it's being updated. Um, better than not getting any updates at all. And it is available for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. Now this is one of those wow. projects where it started out as Linux only, and then with 2.0, um, so many of the, the backers on Kickstarter were using Windows and Mac OS, that 2.0, it was a, it was one of the primary goals of 2.0 was to make it cross-platform. But OpenShot was not this unstable when it was Linux only. When you start adding in multi-platform, that exponentially increases the difficulty of everything you're doing programming-wise. And so you've got bugs that are only on Linux and then some bugs that are only on Windows and only on Mac. Oh, um, sure. You know, Kaden Live is only targeting Linux, so mm-hmm. it's a really solid thing because they just focus all the time on Linux. Um, with, since OpenShot 2.0 came out, the developers had to target three different operating systems that's splitting up their attention between three, three different places, and it's only one person doing all of it. Um, so that's kind of an example of I think, I have a feeling if OpenShot was Linux only, it would be more stable because we wouldn't be the developer wouldn't be spending so much of his time working on Windows and Mac OS um, fixes and features and anything else on the other platforms but, you know, people like cross-platform stuff, so um, and there are some advantages to that. You have any thoughts about OpenShot? I, I know you haven't used it, but yeah, I've I haven't used it,
1: but uh, I I do I, I have a fun time seeing people who are supposed to be professional get a little sassy on the internet. It's it's nice. Yeah, <laughs> it just brings a little bit of human side to the industry, and it's very fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Linux you, Linux publications can generally get away with that a little more than like more mainstream yeah. stuff, just because it's a niche. You know, you don't have a whole lot of people reading it. You know, it's it's we all know what's going on in the Linux community, so. Yeah, I mm-hmm. liked the, uh, it was Joey Sneddon who he also did, I think he was the one who did a lot of the news regarding when Canonical was doing their stuff that we talked about last week. Joey was the one who wrote a lot of those articles, so shout out to him over at OMG Buntu. Yeah, <laughs> And uh, yeah, next we are going to talk about uh, Bitwig Studio. Now this was actually not this week. Disclaimer, this happened a day before episode one of this show. So we didn't see it in time for the show But Bitwig Studio, it is proprietary. Now, OpenShot, uh, for all its flaws, it is open source and Libre. Uh, Bitwig, proprietary, but it is available on Linux, and I think that it is the best DAW for Linux. Digital Audio Workstation, um, I got it recently, and I've been playing around with it, um, and I'm definitely going to use it for making music for future productions. The intro music for this show was like the first thing I did With this program and uh yeah it's a solid Daw. and yeah 2.1 came out and it fixed a whole lot of problems um let me see here if i've got the number fixes over 80 bugs plus includes other improvements and it is a free upgrade if you own the program now this is a paid program so you know not free Mm -hmm. but um yeah they added some new features like a new quantize feature to the math modulator and Quantize is where it kind of like takes what you put in and then it breaks it down into like certain intervals so that you're not having super specific. It makes it easier to go back and edit things after you record them the first time. They added a new device, a new amplifier into the program, which is a pretty big feature. And then, yeah, they, they fixed a lot of crashes, improved support for a lot of hardware. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've tried out so many DAWs on Linux and so many of them just... Even the proprietary ones crash a lot, like Traction has their Waveform product, and it just, you can't do two things in that without it crashing. Bitwig is like the most stable um, proprietary DAW for Linux, and of course I didn't find the feature sets that I wanted in any of the free and open ones as of right now. But yeah, I just wanted to shine some attention on that. Uh, you can check them out, and yeah, there will be a link to the forum. Bitwig is cool because they kind of, they do all their announcements through a an audio forum that they don't even own, but they've just got this forum, uh, kvraudio.com is where they make all their announcements, and then there's some discussion from a bunch of users about that, so those will be in the show notes. Um, so yeah, I know Mark is, once again, hasn't used Bitwig before. Uh, <laughs> you want to go ahead and take our next story, Mark?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so next, hopefully we have some gamers
0: out there. I know
1: I I am one. Uh, we there's this great company called the uh, Feral Interactive, and what they're known for is they take pretty much the games people want to play but aren't on Linux or on Mac OS, and they will do a very good port from from like a a, a Windows to Mac or Linux or both. Huh. And they and they recently announced. Warhammer a uh, uh, forty thousand of Dawn of War three, which is not a series of games I've personally played, but I know it's a very very popular one. Yeah. And um, it's like it's definitely not a small deal to hear. It's like that's a big game. Yeah. And it, it it's also not like a, a lot of times these companies that will do these ports will choose older games. This is the most recent one in this series of these games, so that's pretty exciting. Um, it's great to see these much larger, more a more modern games. I'll get the port over, um, mm-hmm. and they and like I said, this company has a great um, reputation of having a um, very good ports, like very very solid, not a bug filled ports. Yeah,
0: that's funny because I had actually I'd heard of that um, company before, Feral Interactive, that does the game ports. You actually told me about them. Like, hey, I yeah. found this company that does this. When I found this news story, I didn't realize it was a separate company. I, I thought yeah. it was just <laughs> the the company who made the game originally. Doing it, but uh, that would make sense. So I see in the OMG Ubuntu article there will be cross-platform multiplayer between the Mac OS and Linux versions. So Feral Interactive's ports of this game will work with each other no matter what platform you're on. Yeah, if you're playing the, the original results, Windows, it won't. But
1: yeah, it It's a pretty important thing because the communities on both Mac and Linux would be small on their own. And allowing them to, to to play together is is very important to keep you know just the flow of the game better because having a small community f- f- like for a game sucks because then that means long yeah. wait times between games it's mm-hmm. just just a, like a boring atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Now I don't play Warhammer myself. I actually I kind of got into the Warhammer lore like a month or two ago. Mm-hmm. I was reading. Yeah, I was actually them. reading a. It wasn't an official book, but it was a fan thing. I was reading. Um, somebody in an online community that I'm in suggested it and I, I kind of got into that and read a whole lot there's a you know Warhammer's a big franchise as I found out Um, so yeah it definitely sounded like a big big story yeah
1: yeah. There's, important there's, there it goes back a long a long time so I'm not sure how many books are actually out but there are definitely too many to get to, to like have an easy time getting through it. There's a there's a lot out there, and the people who tend to be into the Warhammer thing are like almost always very very into the story, or very very like into like all of the lore that that has to go with it.
0: Yeah, so that will be landing on Linux as well as Mac OS on June 8th. That is when yes. it will actually be released. Yeah. Um, so yeah, keep an eye out for that. Uh, where do you know where people will be able to get it?
1: You can get it from Steam, which right. is. Everyone knows what Steam is. Yeah. Um, or if you want to just support the Feral developers immediately, go to their website and and they and they will sell it on their website store as well.
0: Cool. And then there were some other games that are also on Linux. Want to tell us about those?
1: Yes, on the Humble Bundle this week, um, Humble Bundle 18. It's it's pretty exciting because normally they they do a good job of getting games that are. Uh, Almost always DRM-free and most of them on Linux, but uh, this week in particular is great because every single game on the entire package Is all Linux compatible, which is really really cool. A lot of people are, are actually Quite excited about it and they actually have some pretty great games. I know this is the uh Indie bundle which immediately means it's not going to be like a, a, a AAA titles, right, but there are some pretty cool games in here like uh the one that really caught my eye was the prime game in it the owl boy like that's like the biggest one that's sort of like what they're trying to headline with it like that's actually a very popular game it got very very good reviews on steam a lot of people played it a lot of people liked it and so to get that game along with like a, a bunch of other just super goofy games it's a uh,
0: yeah, I see goat simulators yeah, in there.
1: Yeah, that's I. I don't dabble with that, but I know it's it's not, fun not for some that. people.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I have you ever bought any of the humble bundles before?
1: Yes, mm, a lot of times. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I've sure.
0: I've always heard about them. I've never gotten one myself. But, um, you know, indie games, kind of what I'm into, because I don't have the time to get into a lot of the bigger games. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah, no, this is great, because it goes in sort of tiers. Like, you can either pay any price of money you want and get, like, a small collection of the bundle, and then if you beat the average price of what people are paying for, then you'll get the next tier of games. And then if you pay just whatever the Humble Bundle, like, team decides then you get all the games that are in the bundle and which it's it's always a great price like like right now to get all the games you have to pay $13 and for all these games to buy them like on retail like that's just a ridiculous a ridiculous like good deal so yeah pretty great cuz you can choose exactly how much money goes to the devs how much goes to Humble Bundle how much goes to a charity it's it's really great Cool. And so it's, yeah, um, it's even coming with some some soundtracks for a few of the games. If oh, you're I that see that at the
0: bottom yeah. of the uh, yeah. screen here. Yeah. So yeah, if you're looking into games, you got some new options as of this week, or that will be coming soon. In the case of our previous story, and there are two other games being added to it within the next
1: 19 hours, actually. Oh, or to the uh, humble bundle, or in two days and 19 hours, because like they're they're doing this thing now where like they're they'll add a game or two during the month or or week that it's happening oh that's interesting
0: so we don't that. know and, How and, does it, that... and it
1: works like if you buy it you, you get it basically like it'll just come out it's just sort of a fun all right little so it's not like you have game. to
0: wait to buy it if you no, want no, those extra you, two
1: if you pay the tier that like the game's gonna be going on for then you'll get
0: it no matter what all right cool and then uh You know, if you want those two extra games, it would probably work in your advantage to get it sooner because that average might raise by a couple cents by the time that you buy it if you wait the two days. Uh, So that's got to be part of their plan there. Uh, So yeah, that's at humblebundle.com. If you want to get that, it'll direct you right to the Humble Indie Bundle page if you go there. So yeah, glad we were able to talk about that. And the next story, this is not a super Linux related story. But this was a big story that broke last week, and I did want to talk about it just because I saw this article. And this was what came to my mind when I was hearing this. Did you hear about all that wanna crypt, wanna cry, all that stuff happening last week?
1: Uh, I didn't. No, I did not have time to go oh. through that.
0: Well, it was. I mean, it was. It was all over the mainstream media. Like it was front page CNN oh, really? stuff. Was what was going on. Yeah. Oh man. So yeah. I mean, I, uh... Windows. <laughs> Now this was this was something where people were getting angry at the NSA, people were getting angry at Microsoft, and really What's new? most of the affected <laughs> people who were affected by WannaCry were using Windows XP, which, I mean, it's been discontinued. the The extended support is ended for Windows XP. So I think it was you know if you're using Windows XP, you don't have any right to complain when you it's have your own these fault issues. For any yeah, problems. it absolutely it's not is, but. Um, there was also, there were some people who were using Windows 7 and Windows 10, and um, there was a patch that came out like a couple months ago, but if you haven't been installing your updates, then you could be affected by this even on newer versions of Windows, is what was going on here. Um, but yeah, this, this Tech Republic article, Wanna, uh, WannaCrypt makes an easy case for Linux, is what it's titled. And this is what I always tell people, is, you know, Linux is inherently more secure than Windows, and we could go into the whys of all of that, and actually I'll I'll get to that in a moment where you can go if you want more information about that. But yeah, there's just so many people who choose to use Windows, older versions of Windows, and even the latest versions of Windows that they're unhappy with, and Mm -hmm. that have these kinds of problems. Um, One Encrypt came out, and it was ransomware that would encrypt basically all of the files that it could touch. And then it would say, you have to pay us so many Bitcoins within 7 days or you will never have access to these files again is wow. what was happening. And it was the reason it was all over the mainstream media was because it was um what most people picked up on was there were some hospitals in Europe that were affected. And so yeah. people on in on the news were saying, "Oh, you know, it's killing people because it's affecting hospitals." Now, you know, of course, the actual mission-critical computers in hospitals that are being used for operations—they're not connected to the internet. They were not affected by this sort of thing. I don't like to sensationalize these, you know, tech problems yeah. because they, the mainstream media does that a lot. Um, but yeah, and in it, they're actually somebody came out and fixed WannaCry. Basically, um, it, it was a—you didn't hear about the story at all. It was a pretty, like, I had my I dad call me and ask if I had heard about it. I may have, like, I play a lot of video games, man. I mean, yeah. Uh, So, so how it actually ended, this part is not Linux related at all, but it's an interesting story. So there was actually a kill switch hard coded into the application, into like this virus. The kill switch used a domain name that was not registered. So security researchers saw that, registered the domain name, and it wasn't actually a kill switch. Uh, From what I understand, it actually uses this domain name to check if it's in a sandbox um, because it doesn't want security researchers to be tampering with it. But this person registered a domain name. They pointed it to an IP address that was in this virus as, if this IP address is for this domain name, then don't do anything. Um, So then they ended up stopping this whole thing. And if the hackers had registered that domain name ahead of time, then it would still be an issue now. But... Um but yeah, they kinda got lucky there. I don't know what the deal was. But but yeah, this this uh Tech Republic article, you know, Wannacrypt exploits a known vulnerability in Windows. Um and part of the reason people were angry about the NSA for this is because the United States government actually knew about this vulnerability a long time ago, like years ago, and didn't tell anyone, but somebody got it. Um but yeah, Wannacrypt uses the SMB protocol also known as the Samba protocol and that is the networking the network file and printer sharing protocol that Microsoft developed for Windows so this is exploiting Windows itself this is not any applications on top this is just core this was a problem with Windows Um, and the problems not in Linux Windows of course isn't the only platform to have been hit by ransomware Um, the article points out that in 2015 there was some ransomware called Linux encoder that did affect Linux servers but it was only affecting Linux servers running the Magento e commerce software. So that's how it always works on Linux. Is Linux is actually, since it's developed by a bunch of different people, a hacker can't just target Linux. They have to pick a specific thing to target. In this case, it was this content management system. But with Linux, you're always exploiting a certain application. Windows, it's it's such a because it's such a cohesive platform that's all developed by one person. You can just target Windows in general. You don't have to target a specific program or a specific stack. You can just target Windows and hit everything at once, which you can't do with Linux. Um, yeah, and then the the article points out as of today there have not been any ransomware attacks on the Linux desktop. Um, so yeah take that for what you will. And then the article goes on to address the most common complaint about Linux is software availability. Points out that, um, you know, most software can be replaced by web pages now. And I'm not going to get into that because anyone watching this show has heard that enough and they don't need to hear that anymore. Um, but yeah, that's I, I liked that this was sort of a, this this was on a website that's not really Linux centered, but somebody was pointing out, hey guys, if we were using Linux, we wouldn't have had to, to worry about this. So yeah, um, yeah, there is zero reason keeping you from making the switch to a more reliable, secure platform. Unless your company depends on a proprietary software system that was designed for and only runs in Windows, not making the move to Linux desktops is inviting trouble. Um, and that's, you know, what I always say is, you know, if you're, if you're going to make the choice to use Windows, then you're making the choice to have to deal with that stuff Um, and then I, I actually found that article over on Slashdot and there were some people in the, the comments talking and going back and forth about what exactly makes Linux inherently more secure than Windows. Um, and yeah, it's, you know, we could do a whole episode on that. Maybe we will. But if you want more information about that, I will put the link over in the, um, show notes. So yeah, there's that. Um, again, not sort of a not super Linux focused story, so we'll move on from that. Uh, Mark, why don't you tell us about KDE Plasma and Google Drive? All
1: right, I was actually curious about this. Now, is this stuff going to affect you personally? Since since you're a uh, uh, yeah, so I'll get this new feature. a KDE, KDE user. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. So I use a Google Drive a lot, and um, just with me and my friends So, to see that this is getting integrated into KDE Plasma officially now. That's that's cool. That makes me excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think I, I would if I were to be a user of KD, I'd be really stoked about this. Now there there are a few things. It's not perfect. Um, it's only while online, so it's only for online accounts and things right. like that. Because it's
0: not a sync solution. This isn't a yeah, sync app. Yeah. This is just an access yeah. protocol.
1: Um, there there is a uh, there's a, there's a two things you uh, need to have. You uh, mm. this, um, plasma users like wanting to try the a Google Drive integration out for themselves can do so, but only provided they have both um K accounts dash provider of seventeen point zero four, and Kio dash G Drive one point two installed, which both of those come in the packages in the archives of Kubuntu, but they're mm-hmm. outdated, so you just need to right update, them, but
0: yeah so, yeah. Oh, if, go you ahead. Get
1: all of that, if you can get all of that updated and ready to go, then you can start using the online abil- uh, abilities of Google Drive, which is great. I think Google Drive is a, a pretty good service, so that's cool that they're putting it in.
0: Yeah, and this is really uh, in the scope of Linux. This is great because GNOME already had this functionality a little bit. It's not perfect in GNOME either, but um, GNOME had an online accounts area where you could sign in uh, KDE just hasn't had that. That's just been something that we, we haven't had. And I personally, like, I'm not going to sign into my Linux desktop with my Google uh, Google account because I don't want my Google account tied to my Linux desktop. That's I don't want to give Google that much more power and whatnot, um, and I try to avoid using Google Drive for that reason. But, you know, if, if you're using Google Drive like a normal person, then you can use it integrated in Plasma. I think it's really interesting that it adds in g drive colon slash slash as a um as a protocol on the system and um because mm-hmm. that's how like mtp works on plasma that's how a lot of different things work in plasma um and then that way you can also like if you're in let's say you're in an inkscape open dialogue or i'll say LibreOffice writer open dialogue box you'd be able to type g drive colon slash, slash something and you can open up your google doc from within that too after you set it up through KDE Plasma. So that's nice that it's set up that way. And sort of in the same vein, uh, Mark just said K Accounts Provider and KIO were two of the packages that you'll need for this. Those were updated recently uh, as part of the new KDE Frameworks 5.34.0 released for KDE Plasma 5. It includes 83 changes. And uh, yeah, uh, the KDE Frameworks are always being updated. Um, almost like a rolling release but yeah they they always uh always are getting improvements so the new 5.34 release adds new icons updates some of the existing icons for both the breeze and oxygen icon sets it also fixes numerous issues discovered since last month's release which was 5.33 um so yeah Obviously, if this is a recurring thing, if we notice that there's a new KDE frameworks every month, we might not cover it every month, but like I said, slow news week, so we threw it in here. Um, among the components that received improvements were, and I just highlighted the ones that I recognize: k-activities, if you use activities in Plasma, k-auth for authentication, k-config, k-file metadata, uh, k-icon themes, KIO, which handles the you know IO protocols, such as G-Drive, which was just added, k-runner. K-Text Editor, K-Wayland, uh, which K-Wayland is very exciting, because as soon as I can use Wayland, I'm ready to make the switch. But still <laughs> still a little bit off, but K-Wayland is still being updated. Uh, Network Manager QT is part of the KDE frameworks, which I did not realize. And Plasma Framework, which forms the framework for the Plasma desktop. And if you want to read all of these specific changes that were made, um, you can do that over at KDE.org. We'll put the link in the show notes. And... Yeah, I'm looking here. there's any, I was just seeing if anything jumped out at me. It's a lot of technical stuff, but mm-hmm. yeah, cool to read through. So if you have some time, go and do that. If you're a KDE user, you will get the benefits from those updates when your distribution updates that package. Awesome. And our very last news story this week. You want to take it, Mark? Yep.
1: So we got OpenSUSE Leap 42.1 has reached end of life and will no longer be supported by SUSE themselves. Mm-hmm. Um so uh let's see here so they uh they announced that they would um it would be up until leap 42.2 will we'll continue to receive updates until the second quarter of 2018 all right and then um so you do have a, a decent amount of time to just you know if you are like a heavy user of open try to find other options or or um wait for OpenSUSE Leap fifteen, which is expected to launch in the last week of July this year.
0: Uh huh. That's interesting, uh, numbering yeah. scheme. It it is. Know, it did is you dig odd. into that at all to find out why that is? Because I, I didn't realize that they um, were going down. So,
1: um basically Leap is a bridge between the enterprise operating systems and um and the uh
0: Just OpenSUSE, probably. And
1: and just OpenSUSE, and that's why people used it a lot. Um, Yeah. I'm
0: I'm not seeing much information as to why they decided to end it. Well, if you go... Let's see. So they're not ending it. This is just a... This is an end of life for an older version. But if I go to the bottom here... So uh, OpenSUSE Leap 15 will be fully in sync with the upcoming SUSE Linux Enterprise 15. So they're Mm -hmm. just... They're bringing the version number down. I don't know why version one was called 42.1 because <laughs> w- this was like, this was an issue I had when, when I remember. So open used to just be one thing called open and you could download it and it got updated every six months. Um, and then like last year they said, all right, nobody's using open anymore. It's become kind of irrelevant. So we need to spice it up a bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to have open leap and that's going to be a long-term support. Things don't change very much. Um, and it's going to share some packages with SuSE Enterprise Linux, which was a big deal because OpenSUSE had been completely separate from SuSE Enterprise Linux prior to that. So that's OpenSUSE Leap now, and then we've got um, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed was the other one, and I think that's what it's called. Let me check here to make sure. Um, but Tumbleweed was a, a rolling release, Literally, mm-hmm. yeah, so Tumbleweed and Leap here. So if you go to the download page, those are the two options you get. Tumbleweed is always being updated. You receive packages just about as fast as they're being created by the developers. There's a little bit more of a lag than Arch would have but because um, they test them a little more. But yeah, and then Leap is if you don't want things to change very often. But yeah, it just made no sense to me that um, the Leap started. It's like, all right, first version of OpenSUSE Leap, 42.1. And then 42.2 is the current version. 42.3 is going to be called just 15, so that it's back in line with the regular operating system. I'll have to dig into that later and see why that was in the first place. But, yeah, Uh um, that's going on there. So if you use OpenSUSE Leap, yeah, um, just update. There's no reason not to update OpenSUSE Leap, because it's still... You're, it's still leap. It's still not going to be very different, and it's free. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, just go and do that. Too bad. All right. Did you have any other que- or uh, uh, any other comments about that? Since you were kind of taking that one at the beginning.
1: I don't think so. No. Yeah, I wasn't entirely sure about what, what it was until I, I read through it. But yeah, I cool.
0: It's cool. Uh, and then, yeah, I've got the announcement for that. Like the official. Straight from the horse's mouth announcement Mm -hmm. from the mailing list. That will be in our show notes if you want to go and read the OpenSUSE people saying what we just said. And let's see. Yeah, so it's been around. It was actually November 4th, 2015 was when OpenSUSE Leap uh, was released. So they supported it for 18 months, and now they're saying just update to the next one. So yeah, there's that. That's all our news for this week. And in just a moment, we are going to take a look at installing Arch and Antergos Uh, side-by-side. All right, everyone. In just a moment, we're going to be taking a look at the differences between installing a Linux distribution with a wizard and doing it in the command line. But before we do that, I do want to give a shout out to our Nerd Club program. Head on over to nerdclub.nots.co. So Nerd on the Street is an audience funded uh, company. And if you want to help us make videos like this one, you can sign up to be a part of the Nerd Club. It's only $3 a month. And uh, yeah, you can support Nerd on the Street, you can support Rolling Release and you can support yeah. Displaced and all of the productions that we do here. Um, there are a couple different ways you can join the Nerd Club. You can join through our Patreon page, uh, so you know you know, Patreon's legit, and you can go there. We do have some goals over on Patreon. Uh, I'd like to draw attention to the $100 goal we have. When we get to $100, right now, our website is comprised of a mixture of daily motion and YouTube embeds. When we reach $100 on the Patreon page, we're going to tear all of those out and replace them with embeds that load faster and have no ads. I'm pretty excited about that. I don't know about Mark. That sounds
1: cool. That sounds yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> it's going to be great.
0: So if you want to help yeah. contribute to sounds that, sick. head on over to co. Like I said, join the Nerd Club and you also get access to some other exclusive features like the live stream DVR. Uh, we're putting out an edited version of this show that you're, you're watching right now, but the full, unedited live stream recording is available for our Nerd Club members. Uh, they get to see all of the live stream recordings that we do. Uh, you get a members-only area on the website. You can hang out and talk to all the other cool people who are part of the Nerd Club. And, yeah, anything you want to say about the Nerd Club, Mark? Uh, as a member, it's,
1: it's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to yeah, talk about cool that Actually,
0: Mark was a member of the Nerd Club. He still is. But uh, now he's doing the show, so we'll have to we'll have to talk about how that works <laughs> in the near future. Um, but yeah, hey, maybe if you join the Nerd Club, then you'll be on our next show. So uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's how that works. <laughs> that's how works. Um, <laughs> so yeah, NerdClub.Nods.Co, and a big thank you to all of our Nerd Club members for making Absolutely. shows like this one possible. All right, uh, so yeah, last week this was just something Mark threw out when we were talking about. Um, I was showing him how to do. Arch Linux installations, because everyone at our, we we had a, a class at school, and we were installing Linux like the last day. Everyone was complaining about how hard Linux was, and I'm like, <laughs> you guys, you guys think that this is difficult, try installing it without a wizard. Uh, so I showed Mark Arch, and he said last week during the episode, oh, I'd love to, to do Arch side-by-side with one of the distros that has a wizard. So Antor goes is based on Arch. It actually, it only adds one repository, but it, it uses the Arch repositories for most things. Um, so it's like 99% the same distro. All that Antergos does is it gives you a graphical installer, and then once you're installed, it gives you a graphical package manager. Um, and I, I really like the package management manager they include, because the package manager uh, shows you the commands you would normally have to type if you didn't have the GUI. So you can learn Arch by using Antragos. Um, so, yeah, Mark's got the Antigos download over there. Full disclaimer, I offered to let Mark do the Arch install. Um, he chose that he wanted to do the Antigose one.
1: I um, did choose, yeah. yeah.
0: So, um, now, like I said, let me... I'm going to refresh Jitsi over here and see... Oh, hi, that's me. And there's your desktop, all right. Uh-oh. And now you're not cut off. No, I was just because it was cutting off your desktop because you've got the ultra-wide silly person desktop. Yes, but, I'm a
1: silly person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Um, it was cutting it off to a regular person, 16 to 9 ratio, but now you're all good to go. Cool, So a regular yeah. person. <laughs> so we've got my my desktop, we've got Mark's desktop, and we'll go ahead and start here. So the first thing we'll do is boot the machine. So Mark, why don't you go ahead and boot Antigos, see what we get there.
1: I'm ready. Let's go.
0: So oh, be, here we are. This will be fun.
1: All right, this is it.
0: All right, so there's Antigos. Antigos is really I'm already nice. almost done. All right, so you got your grub boot menu there, and that's standard. Uh, Why don't you go ahead and hit, like, down before that, uh, hit down arrow. All right, right. and then just leave it there at the grub boot menu. So I'm going to cut over to my desktop here, and I'm going to get OBS out of the way. And all right, so I'm starting up Arch now, and I'm doing this on the computer that I'm streaming with. So if the stream goes down, you know, all right, and here we have the grub boot menu for Arch Linux. Uh, So I have more options than you do. What? Uh, I've got boot Arch Linux. You've got boot from hard disk. You've got start Andrew Ghost Live. See, mine comes with a memory test, and it comes with reboot and power off as options. But oh. should I uh, get going? Uh, yeah, let me cut back to your desktop, and you can go ahead and start Andrew Ghost Live. Okay. Um, this kernel requires an x86. You made oh, the, your no! you made your virtual no! box thirty two bit. You go no! go ahead and make a new virtual box. <laughs> I clicked the wrong button. Yeah, I'll, I'll come back to my desktop. You fix that. You get that fixed over there, and I'm just gonna go ahead and boot now. Arch, you actually Arch used to have a thirty two bit version, and I was like getting ready to switch everyone to Arch, um, but. It only has a 64-bit version now. They discontinued the 32-bit version like last month. They said, we're not going to support this anymore starting June. So you probably don't want to install Arch 32-bit. It really stinks because Arch is such a great distro. But um, they make an ARM version. They make a PowerPC version, but not 32-bit. Not enough people use 32-bit computers. I'm going to go ahead and boot Arch here, and we'll see what it does. It is uh, triggering some events, running lots of stuff. And yeah, uh, starting initializing the Pac-Man keyring, and I've got a terminal. And this is what it looks like when you start up Arch. Uh, I can type whatever I want. If it's something stupid like hello, then it won't do anything when I press enter. But um, but yeah, this is this is what it looks like when you start Arch up. All you've got's a terminal. There's no wizard. There's no graphics. Uh, no mouse so we're gonna cut back over to mark now and see how he's doing with that virtual box i'm working on it um just give me give me a second all right we'll just uh we'll cut to our our dual cameras here so yeah yeah i personally use arch as my primary operating system and if you go online you'll see a lot of people kind of like arch is a little bit of a meme because it's kind of a joke to say well people used to say oh i use arch so I'm really smart. And then that became a meme that if you use Arch, then you think you're really smart. But then it kind of got meta with the meme. And it's... Using Arch is perfectly respectable. It's a really good distro. It was um distro of choice for Chris Fisher, who was the main host of Linux Action Show. And... Yeah. I actually... It was a contender to be my cup holder. Mm. Um, right now I've got my FreeBSD cup holder. I don't even know where it's at right now. Um but yeah arch was one of the first arch was like the first time i tried to install a distro and couldn't back when i was semi new to linux uh we're gonna cut back to mark's desktop and see how he's doing there i think we're doing pretty good all right (laughs) and uh we got the correct the correct hardware
1: selected so that's that's nice yeah okay boom
0: and we're going. Alright, so it is probably going to look very similar to what my screen looks like with all the okays and the checkings and initializing and whatnot. It doesn't really make too much of an effort to hide that stuff like Ubuntu or Fedora do. Currently had a black screen. A oh, black screen. This is, yeah, um, this is, this is good. Should just be there for a moment. How many? Oh, how, how much oh. RAM did you give it? Two. Oh, I gave mine four. Two RAMs. I, I gave mine four RAMs. I Might want to have to get yeah, download more RAM. Yeah. All these messages get out of here.
1: Oh, it went it went ultra right almost immediately. Thank yeah. You. See, mine's not ultra I'm done.
0: Look, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's got Hinterghost installed. No, no, you just booted up. So you're in the GNOME environment right now. You got yeah. uh, some plugins like Dash to Dock installed. There There's your uh, installer now. Don't touch anything because I got I got to get to the point. What well, I guess I guess we're at the same point really. If you think about it, we've got my desktop. Is, all right, so I want
1: to use you enter without making changes. No, I, I want to install it, man.
0: Uh, yeah. Go ahead and click install. And... All right, let's
1: go. English. Language. All right, now don't move. So what? you're oh.
0: so you're at English. So you're at the I, language selector. I okay. could go to Dutch. So let's take a look at. what, well, all right. Or so he just he just went to Spanish. I'm I am going to. <laughs> he just went to Spanish. All right. Now I don't actually have to change the language because Arch is English by default. So um, Does yours boot up in ultra-wide almost immediately? No, mine's in a terminal, which would be an ultra-wide terminal if it was... Well, actually, no, it would probably just be really stretched out based <laughs> on my own experience. So, all right, you can go ahead and click Next. When you get to the keyboard layout, that's when we're going to need to pause. All right, so mm-hmm. mine doesn't yeah. do the checks. It, it yeah. actually, once again, so here's what it looks like checking your requirements on Antogos. Arch still just got the terminal. That's oh. all, all I got. Nothing Look at exciting. All this nice stuff. It's saying, yeah, you're good to go. Yeah, you've pal. got 8 gigs of space. You're plugged into a power source. Go ahead. Because of the internet. Oh, man. Here we go. All right. So, so for selecting a keyboard layout, that's what you're doing now, right?
1: Country, territory, or area.
0: The location you select will be used to help determine the system locale. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. And, I mean, English, US. You probably want to select English, US instead of English. AU
1: nine states there we go
0: yeah um so you can click next so that's collecting sure Alright now don't I'm move down no, now stop now freeze because what? now you're getting way ahead of me here no I'm over here on arch and I'm still just <laughs> sitting on my terminal so I'm going to go ahead and select the keyboard layout that's like basically who what you use just did. arch
1: that's crazy huh
0: I'm in Chicago why would you want to be with Arch trade right now I'm also going to select Chicago I'm just gonna type it uh, so to list available keyboard layouts, type in ls, which is list, or list all the things in the directory, user share kbd for keyboard, keymaps map.gz. Alright, so you get the big list of them there, and... Look at all this, I got this great background image too. Oh, it's beautiful. To modify the layout, append a file name to load keys, All right, so I don't actually need to do anything here either because it's English by default. I love that we speak English. So, all right, so we've got our locales selected, more or less. Time zone? Uh, Let's see. I mean, I'm not really... Time zone. It's just... it's it's abstracting things on yours so i'm not <laughs> sure it probably see ubuntu matches arch better than anterghost does anterghost is being all slick it is slick um yeah go ahead and go ahead and select yeah. your time zone you're in chicago i'll click chicago Done. i think the effect <laughs> will work playing. hey there's so US. yeah that's that's the default just like on mine Click, oh, and nice. I've now see you've got the big list of them there that you could click on. Isn't that nice? So once again, like I can get that list. Languages. Here's oh, my man. list. Um, and
1: drop down menus for certain for like almost every language. Oh man.
0: Yeah. So you can go ahead and yeah, Serbo-Croatian. That's definitely it. That's that's where I want to be. Um, no, I I I go English U.S. And go ahead, and you can continue because I'm not I, selecting mine explicitly because it's English by default. All right, so now you're choosing your desktop environment. This is this isn't working at all because this is not a parallel once again. Um, <laughs> so you're connected to the internet, right? I hope so. Let's go ahead and see if I'm connected to the internet here. That's something uh... we can check. So ping archlinux.org. All right, I am connected to the internet. Cinnamon. Uh, yeah, you can I pick can whichever one you want, dude. You can that pick whichever nice. one you want. Um, KDE.
1: Don't be pick like base. KCub. Let's use KDE. Oh, you want to use
0: KDE? You can. You can use KDE. Um, now, make, don't don't make use make it yet because I'm not on your yeah. screen. But yeah, yeah. So he's looking oh, through. So ghost does something really nice where it lets you actually just select your desktop. Normally, ha- you don't understand how revolutionary this was. So it's for everyone. Look. <clears throat> how it used to work. Before Antergos came around, you had to download a separate ISO based on which desktop you wanted. Like you had to, like with Ubuntu, you had to download a different distro based on which desktop you wanted. You could have Ubuntu or Kubuntu or Zubuntu. Um, Fedora, it was all just called Fedora, but you can download Fedora with GNOME or Fedora with KDE, but you had to pick it right there. Antergos, this was like super revolutionary. You can download one ISO and then install ten different, or it's like eight different desktops... All with the same ISO, so um, so yeah, that's really cool. So you're you're going KDE either there? I think so. Go yeah. ahead and click next. We'll see if we can actually get something similar. Let's
1: do it. Oh, look at all of this! All right, This is things. just
0: not. It's just not the same between these two. <laughs> I'm gonna not? go ahead and I'm gonna take oh, a moment gosh. to update my system clock. Oh, look, Steve, uh, Steve. Time date C T L set N T P true. Oh, oh yeah, I was gonna tell you about um. Yeah, Ubuntu Mate has a, a software center that makes it really easy to install Steam too. Because normally, you, office. normally that stuff. Now make sure your AUR is turned on. My because, AUR yeah.
1: support done. Turned um, on. Bluetooth? Nah, screw that. Uh, see Firefox? Here. Why not? Let's have Firefox and Chromium. So you're just
0: selecting the default things. I there's no defaults on Arch. I don't uh, know, time let's, date C T L set into be true. Hang on, I'm still... Alright, we're going to have... Alright, you can go ahead and... Th- so that's just stuff it's going to install for you later. Go ahead yeah. and click Next. Done. We should have done this with Ubuntu. Oh, a our
1: disclaimer.
0: Issues. Yep. You want to um, read that? No. Okay, well. You want to read it for the show? Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, 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 I can...
1: Oh, it's not going to... It's fine, it it's off.
0: fine. Oh, did it turn it off? Yeah. Alright, whatever. It's, it's not coming don't back. It was it. just... Like, uh, <laughs> All right. So at this point, you are partitioning your disk. Now it's gonna just gonna do it for you for the sake of the show. Go ahead and select, choose exactly where Antergos should be installed. Use yes, exactly. And next.
1: Wow. So
0: this is partitioning your disk on Antergos. Um, so go ahead and make a new partition there.
1: New. Can't. Doesn't. New, new partition, partition table. Mean, Let's see here. Let's go with MBR, why not? And then apply, and here we All are. Right. So
0: you wait right there. So he's just created his partition table. Let's do that under Arch. You wait. So how right we're gonna there. do that is no, you wait. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> so for recognizing, uh, you you know, it showed him dev sda was just the only option available. We're gonna do fdisk -l. And it's going to list off our devices, and dev SDA is the first option. Uh, now we also have dev loop zero, and that is an option, but it's not an option for installing to, which is why Mark's system hit it automatically. Um, so dev SDA is the hard drive we want to use, and we are going to. I think th- this this took us a while when we were doing our install before. So to modify partition tables, use fdisk or parted. I'm going to use parted. And so, parted dev sda. All right. So now it's gonna <clears throat> now it's gonna let me make changes to slash dev slash sda. And I'll go ahead and create a new partition table by doing make label msdos, uh, which is what he selected was the master boot record is basically what that means. And then we'll quit. Alright, and now,
1: Ooh.
0: now I've got. Ooh. Hey, you're not supposed to be making a partition yet. Oh, sorry. Dad, you got to get out of nope. that so they don't know you I were left. there. I left. Uh, when I cut back. <laughs> Alright, so we both have partition tables now. If we do fdisk l, you can see disk label type dos. So I've made my partition table. Mark's made his partition table. Go right. ahead and make a partition, Mark. Alright. And let's go with fat32. Okay. No. Then, no. No. You go back in there and you fix that, sir. <laughs> That. Uh, what do you want EXT4. Agree? EXT4. All your right. options are. What are all the options in there? And I'll tell you what oh, your actual options a are.
1: Bunch in there. Well, there's
0: so. only a few that are any. All right. So EXT4. You can use butterfs if you want to live on the edge and maybe lose some of your files. But oh, in in good. in about ten years, butterfs might be stable. Um, and mm-hmm. then XFS is all right. But yeah, do EXT4. Apply and we're pretty much done. All right. Done. So he is done making his <clears> partitions except you didn't set your mount point, but we don't do that yet. So he's made a partition, and how do we make a partition over on Arch? Uh, well, I hope that this is showing up, because this is actually really small fonts, I see. Here, why don't I, I'm actually gonna scale up the terminal, <laughs> and now you can read it better on the video. All right, so we're gonna make the partition make makefilesystem.ext4, slash dev slash sda1 this is actually not going to work because dev sda1 doesn't exist yet oh no so we need to we need to actually make a partition so f disk dev sda and we are going to press n for new p for primary default partition number default first sector default last sector we're done that's it and then we have to type w to tell it yes write these changes to the disk I didn't just do all this for fun. All right. The next thing we have to do, um, get ready. He's got no, his went... installer up. And
1: oh, I think I opened up something I click Yeah, Roll no, up. that's the menu. Just okay. click on the installer. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. Okay.
0: Um, all right, now.
1: I'm ready to go. I've got to choose a mount point.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you'll notice, you can't right. click next yet. So go ahead and edit that. And mount point, you're going to put, yeah, root slash. Here? Nope. Slash, yeah, slash, the top one.
1: Top one. Okay.
0: I, you're and delayed then... on my screen. Uh, okay. So click Apply.
1: Can I put a label in there?
0: If you want. All right. It won't do much. Okay. All right. Apply. Um, all right, so now you've set your mount point. Now we're going to come back to me. How do we set the mount point on Arch? Jacob has Uh-oh. no idea, so we're going to follow <laughs> the installation guide. Now we can do make filesystemext 4 because we're formatting the file system or formatting the partition with the ext4 file system telling it to do that to dev sda1 and it's done so we've just formatted that as ext4 now you've already mounted you've already set the mount point we need to do that now we're gonna do that by typing mount dev sda1 that's the partition we just made slash mount and there we go we have it mounted to slash not exactly, but we sort of have it mounted to Slash. So we're going to cut to Mark's desktop now. And he's not uh, not doing anything other than what we're, what we're doing. So yeah, go ahead. Get, get back to your installer, which oh. you've been in this entire time. Okay. And yeah, click the window. Click the window. You don't have to click the desktop. I'm here. All right. Um, <laughs> so just click Next. It'll ask if you really want to do those change oh, or not. Um, I so that-
1: am happy with all these options. All right. Are you really I am I am <laughs> go ready. Ahead.
0: really sure? Oh man. Yeah. All cool. right. Now don't move. So so at this point, you can go ahead and well, hang on. So where do I make user accounts at? I don't do that in this entire tutorial. That's not even the tutorial ends before the point that you're at right now. Um so we're going to go back to how do we We need to do a couple extra steps on Arch. So we need to select the mirrors that we'll be downloading our packages from. So there are some default mirrors that Mark is going to be downloading his from, but we don't have good default mirrors. So we need to tell it like the, the default mirror for arch is in France. And as we figured out last time we were doing this, if you don't set a United States mirror, then it takes four times as long because you're downloading it across half the world. So we're going to go ahead and set our mirror to a mirror that makes sense for us. So this is the physical location that we are downloading the packages from. So we are going to nano etc pacman.d list. Now, Mark, uh, you remember when we had to set the mirror and I I told you to use uh, v? Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, um, and you couldn't you couldn't figure out how to do freaking anything in that text editor, right? No, so, v was horrible. Yeah, v is a a command line text editor. Now the one that I use is called nano. Um, And it's a much better text editor. So we'll go ahead, and if you ever hear anyone call it Pico, that means two things. It means they're talking about nano, and they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) Uh, Because it was called Pico in the 80s when it was part of Unix. But on Linux, it's called nano. And if you type in Pico, it's a shortcut to nano. If you ever hear anyone, you you can try and correct them, they won't know what you're talking about. But we'll go ahead and nano into this text file. And as you can see, like I said, this file lists all of the different physical locations we can download our packages from and we're just going to what it does is it uses the first one that's not commented out so we're going to comment out everything except the first United States one so we don't want it to get it from France we don't want the UK we don't want Germany we don't want Hungary we don't want another France one we don't want the Czech Republic we don't want Germany you didn't have to do this on Antigos, did you Mark all I had to do was
1: click on the United States
0: once, yeah. and I said, yes, please. So, so now we have commented out everything before United States. So this is the first one in the file, so it's going to use this server. Um, in Illinois, too, so it's pretty close to us. So I'll go ahead and save that. So I'll go ahead and packstrap this. So on Arch, you have to run a command called packstrap slash mount. We're installing the base system, the slash mount. All right. So now we are downloading all of our packages. Now we're gonna go over to Mark's screen um, in a minute here. Uh, all right. So this is downloading 700 megs of stuff, 700 megabytes. And Mark, you can go ahead and make your user account because it's oh, gonna be a, it's gonna be a while okay. before I get there. All Confirm right. your. Cool. You, I... you can't. I appreciate <laughs> the joke that you're trying to make, but the passwords do need to match. So, uh, all
1: right. <clears throat> Let's see here. Username, anti. Password. Let's. Uh, uh. Don't look. Um. Uh oh. <laughs> uh oh. All right. Oh, I typed it. your
0: password. No. Uh, you, Invalid characters entered. What? I can't have a capital A. Is that? Are you serious? Oh uh, no! Not in a. Not in a. Uh. Unix. It. See, on Mac OS, it's the same way. You can put in your capitalized name, but if you actually look at the underlying system on Mac OS, it's all lowercase too. Um. So yeah.
1: All right, that's my password, password that I use for everything. Wink, wink.
0: Yeah, lo- log into to Mark's Twitch account with that password. Yeah. All right, so now you're <laughs> downloading all of your packages as well, and I can see that I your them. your video feed just got a lot blurrier because yes. we're both downloading <laughs> hundreds of megabytes while we're live streaming. And uh, if yeah, you want, yeah, this might to- take a while because I selected like eight extra features. You probably should there. not have done that. Probably shouldn't have done probably, that. But, like, two type fonts you probably didn't need right now. But, but it uh, was
1: a realistic... It was a realistic, uh, you know, view. Absolutely. Ads. Like, yeah, absolutely. I, I want Steve. Like to open Libre this? Are you,
0: are you ever going to open this VirtualBox machine again, though? Well... <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. Because uh, you're actually <laughs> Maybe so I'll, I'll, next I'll week. A lot. Next week in the show, you should be using Linux by that point, right? Because Mark has ordered yes. a. I was gonna order you a fifteen dollar hard drive, and Mark said, "Oh, mine I got it. I'll order my own $16. hard drive." fifteen dollars. It was a brand new eighty gig hard drive. Right. So mine would have been two hundred fifty gigs, but it also was refurbished. So
1: yeah, but I don't need that much for just like just. Well, Literally if you're downloading
0: games, like how many, how many like games can get big, so. I guess. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. What's the what model of drive is it?
1: I'd have to get. That was info. it a Western Digital? What uh, brand was it? Yeah,
0: it was. It was a Western Digital. Yeah. yeah. Was it a blue? Uh, I don't think they make anything else than eighty gigs. So. Probably a blue. No, they, don't, they they don't make a lot in eighty. So gigs. we can see here, That's I have too. finished downloading all of the the packages and it's installing now. I love this new internet that I've got here. It actually downloads things quickly. That was seven hundred megabytes right there. Um, wow. Mark's over there. Yeah, I know your internet's faster, Mark. You don't know, you even brag about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mark's downloaded eight hundred eighty-five, yes. eight ninety out of his thousand or so packages. Uh huh. All right, okay, so I'm done installing everything. Um, So I've got a base system basically done. Um, Now I do need to generate an epstab file. So when I said that I I kind of had things mounted, that's because I set the mounts for this temporary session, but when I reboot my computer, it's not gonna remount by itself right now. Um, So I'm gonna go ahead and make it so that when I restart this machine, the mount points that I have set stick. So we're gonna generate an fstab file with the gen fstab command. Dash u. Um, slash mount is going to be slash mount slash gc slash. We're still installing FSTAP. stuff. Yeah. Well, you selected a lot more stuff than me, so <laughs> it makes sense. Now this is no. I'm doing something right now that you your system did earlier. You already did yeah. this. I what do have to do this already? here. Well, I just said. So when I restart this computer, it wouldn't have been mounted already. I just set the mount point with that command I just run.
1: Gotcha. Um, all, all I did was do like I think two, two two and a half clicks.
0: <clears throat> so now I then. have to run a command called arch ch root, where I'm, I'm remote connecting to this computer that I'm right in front of. So now I'm actually logged into this computer. Now I set the time zone, which you did way earlier, didn't you? Very, very like, one of the first things I did, actually. Yeah. Alright, so we're going to set a link, Chicago, Chicago, we're going to set a link between how it's funny, you remember I told you in Linux and Unix, everything is a file. Yeah, so the time zone is a file. So this is something that like you didn't see earlier. But if you look at my desktop feed, then I should am I not giving you a desktop? And and, uh, no, here's my desktop. And if you take a look at that, Um, So, how you actually set the time zone, and your system did this in the background, was you make a link using the ln command, and you link your time zone file, because there's a file for each possible time zone, I'm using the America slash Chicago file, making a link from that to etc local time. So whenever the clock asks, or whenever the clock tries to look up the local time, it will be looking up Chicago, because there's a link between Chicago and local time. That's how that works. That's and cool. then we'll run hardware, clock, um, sys, t-o, h-c. All right. So that's just another thing you got to do to set up your clock. And so now we're going to set our locale. How long ago did you set your locale? It was, It was like one of the first things you did.
1: It was like the first thing. It asked me where I was and
0: asked me what time it was. <laughs> yeah. So I need to first go into a file called etclocale.gen. And I need to uncomment English United States. And then I need to run locale gen. And now it just generated my locales. And then I need to go into etc locale.config. Locale.config. Locale Locale includes an E. Locale.config. I don't know. All right, so lang equals in us dot eight we'll just save that file and yeah we we did not set the keyboard layout um because it's english us by default now when you started yours up mark um how did you what did you have to do to get it connected to the internet nothing yeah so i have to what's your host name right now go into your network settings and look at what your host name is
1: um. Let's see here. Looks like it's just called. We'll do
0: wired settings. Uh, wired
1: settings, and then it might not happen because we're doing a, s- a system startup right
0: now. Oh. oh okay. Right. Uh, I can't tell what your host name is. Oh, just open up a terminal and just type host name. I right, think that okay. does it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Let me let me check that live on air here. Host name. Yes, so on my desktop, I just ran the hostname command, and it gave me the hostname of my laptop here. So, so when you run hostname, ant seventeen point five. All right. So over on Arch, you actually have to set your hostname manually. So we'll nano nice. etc, host, name, and I'll make my oh, hostname the same. Uh,
1: it's asking me if I would like to restart my system.
0: Don't do it yet, because I'm 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 doing Arch over here. Gotcha. So what was it, ant? Dash 17.5 ant-17.5 so I'll make that my host name as well and we'll also add a matching entry to etc hosts uh, so our loopback 001 will go to ant-17.5 that's a crappy host name ant- because there's a period in that I'm just gonna make my host name Arch. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> Cause that's actually not a great You shouldn't have a period in that. Alright. Um And that's something you don't catch when you're not doing it manually. Arch. Alright, so there's my host name. We're going to Pac-Man-S network manager. Alright, so there's our network manager. And that will take care of managing the network so I don't have to go in and set a static IP address and all that. Because who wants, who has time for that these days, Mark? Do you... I don't. Yeah, initramfs, which is not required. All right, so we're going to set the root password. Now, you already did this on your system, right? That was part yes. of the Antergos installer. We're going to type password. New password is going to be password. There's our password. And finally, we need to install a bootloader. Otherwise the system won't boot. Oh. Now yours installed the bootloader automatically probably. Yes. We can check that actually. Is you're still given the option to reboot? Yes. Go ahead and uh, Go ahead Do and that. take that option, yeah.
1: Yes. We are restarting.
0: All right. Um, right, I missed there. I missed the grub screen, but it restarted and it, it turned on. So you hang on right there. We'll go back to the arch screen here. I'm gonna fix my camera so that we don't annoy people. All right, so I need to install the bootloader and I'm gonna do that by, I'm going to install grub because that's basically the only bootloader that you use in 2017. So we're gonna do pacman-s grub to install grub to our system. Once again, this was taken care of automatically on Mark's system. Anterghost did not make him do any of this. Arch makes you do this. Um, And then there's a command called grub-install that you run. Target equals I386 because we're on a PC. Oh, dash PC. Dev SDA is the hard drive. Installation finished. No error reported. All right. Once again, what we're doing with this episode, the whole point of this was to illustrate how many different little tasks the installer takes care of when you're installing Linux using Antergos, or when you're installing Ubuntu, or anything with a GUI installer. There are so many steps that you don't see when you're using those installers. This is one of those steps. So for setting up the Grub bootloader, um, you actually have to generate the configuration, grub-makeconfig-o, boot, grub, grub, dot, cfg so that's actually going to tell it yeah found linux image um so what this command does is it it searches for linux it found linux at slash boot slash vm linus slash linux and that's normally what the Linux image is called and then it told it so now when i i'm going to exit out of this and i'm going to reboot it'll know where to look now we're going to boot existing OS we are not going to boot so here is our grub screen I just set up that th- this is grub that I just installed. Uh, now Mark go ahead and restart your computer again because I want to see the grub screen on your screen because this is my grub screen here um, it looks nice and plain. Now Mark's grub screen looks like this that. So he's got a nice and pretty one on Antogos and I've got this Uh, So there's the difference between those. Arch Linux, and it went ahead and just started up the computer. I can log in with root now, um, which you're normally, the first thing I'm going to do here. Now, Mark, you created your user account in that wizard, right? Yes. So this is actually way more of an Arch tutorial and way less of a comparison than I was hoping for. But um, in Arch, you have to make a username after you finish installing, not during installation, but after installation. So we're going to go ahead and type in a command called user add. All right, user add Jacob. And then we'll do password Jacob to set Jacob's password, which is also going to be password. After that, we have to install a GUI. I'm going to go to ArchLinux.org and I'm going to figure out what package I have to install to get KDE because I got a match mark over there. <laughs> Plasma. Alright, it's Plasma-Desktop, so we're going to do Pacman-S Plasma Desktop, and it's going to pull in we're going to get the libGL from libGL VND. LibX. Alright, and here's all of this. So you can see I told it to install Plasma. Now, last week, I kind of gave you a crappy explanation as to what packages and dependencies are, right? Mm-hmm. So when I typed in pacman install Plasma, you can see it pulled up a list of other things it needs to install first. So it's installing Xorg, you can see. Uh, it's also installing Wayland so that's interesting so we'll see it's probably going to start up in X and I'm not connected to the darn Internet um, so I had to use system D to enable and start the network manager service I've just done that so now we'll type in mcla uh, in um, d- is that all I had to do alright all I had to do was enable it in system D so that I actually now that I know that wouldn't be that difficult doing it again, but in six months when I forget, then I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> so um, so now we're connected to the network. We'll do pacman-s plasma desktop. All right, so now we're downloading what we need for plasma. And how are you liking the plasma desktop over there? I'll switch back to, uh, it's to yours. It's pretty cool clean it's, yeah. it's not much to like intrude on you, you yeah can, now plasma can... is the ultra configurable one if you go to the system settings there's so much stuff you can do but by default it is pretty clean i also like the dark theme i never have used it with a light theme for an extended period of time but that's just me dark yeah Apply.
1: i did it everything's dark now
0: yeah Oxygen. it's cooler when it's dark. It Oxygen ends. was great. That was the default for KDE 4. Mm. Um, so, yeah, if you go to the, there, there's, I don't want to point you to specific places, but you can just play around with stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I definitely recommend Plasma to any, like I said last week, I, I generally recommend it to power users just because power. it's got so many options. Um, once you get into, like, virtual desktops and stuff, it's just got so many different ways you can set that all up. But um but yeah, for newer users I would recommend like cinnamon or something that you saw when you were installing as different options. I don't know. Compared to GNOME, how do you like KDE? How about that? Because you've only you haven't like you haven't used anything. For a an extended. lot
1: more than Gnome.
0: You like KDE a lot more than GNOME?
1: Yeah. Just just my like immediate yeah. interaction with it is much better.
0: Now is that because of the layout of the like menus and things? Yeah,
1: I would say, is the layout. I, I just like it. It's more inviting to me.
0: As a Windows user?
1: Yeah, as a, as a like hardcore, I've only used Windows. Yeah. It feels much better. Because
0: KDE has the menu in the bottom left, like a start menu. It's yeah. got the taskbar in the bottom right, um, like the Windows tray. Yeah, I yeah. actually, I really do like GNOME. Um, but you do have to rethink how you do stuff, which for me is fun. Like, oh, this is using my computer in a way I've never done before. That was really fun for me. But if you're not wanting to consciously think about how you're using your computer, then you probably want something more familiar. All right, so over here on my arch that I'm still clowning around with, we're done installing Plasma. There's, uh, you can see the the last of the post-installation transactions happening. Oh, I don't think we even, all right, so we're gonna do pacman-s sddm, because, well, I don't need sudo cuz I'm already logged in as root, sddm. All right, and then we'll do systemctl enable sddm. All right, so now we'll reboot, and when I reboot, I should get a GUI. All right, oh. so we have sddm working. We'll, oh we'll we'll start up plasma here. Nope. All right. How long have we been at this? We've been streaming for 2 hours and 20 minutes. All right. Yeah, terrible. So It really pains me to end this here, because the entire point of this episode was supposed to be comparing the installation of Arch with Antigo, so really, we've done our job. Sort of. Yeah, Um, we
1: compared it. Not in a very good light. We definitely made one look terrible compared to the other. So,
0: you have to... So this, first of all, all alright, so this wasn't a failure because we did compare the two. We compared Arch with Antigos. Antigos takes care of so much stuff for you, it already has a working graphics stack when you install it, and that's something that Linux users often never think about. I never think about that when I sit down at my laptop every day. I take it for granted that the screen's going to turn on, right? Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: I guess I guess a lot of people do. Most people do.
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, the like the actual Linux developers, obviously, they have to worry about this crap that we're dealing with right here. And they, they've uh, put a lot of hard work into making it work so well. So every time you install Ubuntu, every time you install Fedora, or OpenSUSE, or Antregos, or any distro with the GUI installer, take a moment to uh, to appreciate all so of the time it's saving it you. It's just great. It turns a several-hour process, mm-hmm. which, once again, I want to stress this. I am using vanilla Arch on my day-to-day workstation. Like, it, this is not me not knowing how to use Arch, but this is Arch having issues with VirtualBox, it's driver issues, it's possible issues with new versions of KDE and whatnot. Um... And that's the kind of, that's the kind of volatility you get with Arch, and I could get it working if I sat here for five more hours, but I think, uh, you know, we're, our listeners and our viewers and Mark are all getting a little, um, you know, they're not doing anything here, and it's not going to help watching Jacob finish this (laughs) process. It won't help anyone. So we're going to call it here. Uh, This is going to be the end of the episode here, but yeah, that that was a comparison between Arch and Antigos, and so yeah, um... Definitely saw differences. <laughs> we got, we, you know, the actual process, like we got through that setting the keyboard yeah. layout, setting the language, um, networking to an extent, you yeah. know, in, in yeah. the installing, we got everything in the installation process done. It's just the did it work part that was different. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm trying to spend this in a positive light because this is freaking episode two. Um, so we'll figure out something really fun and exciting to do next week, guys um like i said earlier check out live.nots.co we got that new twitter um embed that we will tweet out a few days in advance when we know what time exactly we'll be streaming um i do want to thank anyone who tuned in i know we had people watching live for at least part of the stream um mark where can people go throughout the week to find you uh
1: twitter uh twitter.com forward slash it's mcdoodley and then uh twitch at twitch.tv forward slash it's mcdoodley yeah that's, and, that's where i'm most active yeah event, definitely if
0: you want to find me i am at jacob on twitter if you want to yell at me for for screwing up arch <laughs> um, or of course you can head on over to Nerdonthestreet.com, check out all the great content that nerd the street makes we don't just make this show we make a lot of other ones as well and uh, remember everyone say no to rotoscoping so um with that i'm jacob kaufman i'm Mark doodley and we'll see you guys next week goodbye